My ultimate goal with this book, uh, I guess, if, if I were to kind of try to say it in, in a sentence or two, would be that I'm trying to help complacent Christian men avoid a life of inconsequence through what I describe as self-help works-based uh, approach to God. Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast again. Uh, I'm your host, Scott, of course. And today I have with me Mike Hatch. And Mike and I connected just a few weeks ago, and I was immediately... um, Pretty sure he had to be on the podcast. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Scott. Man, I'm I'm excited to be here. Definitely a privilege. Love what you are doing with Brotherhood of Manhood. Absolutely inspiring, exciting, and yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. I don't even know how we got introduced. Now that I think about it, I'm like, how did we get introduced? It was another one of your guests, Stephen okay. Arms. Oh, Stephen. Who, who wrote the book, Miles to Miles... Milestone to manhood, yeah, yeah, rite of and passage, yeah. I right. got a lot of people that reached out to me, like, "Whoa, that was an awesome podcast." I'm like, "Well, get the book. It's yeah. like a it's like a field guide for walking your kids through a rite of passage." Exactly. Um, and yeah. then my other and friend Aaron Guyette, who does rite of passage stuff, I've interviewed him, which is such an amazing topic to talk about on podcasts. And you have a podcast too. Yeah. In fact, that's, yeah, I was, <laughs> Stephen reached out to me to be on our podcast. We're going to have him on, actually. We're working out the scheduling process right there. But yes, our podcast is called Empowered Manhood. Awesome. Obviously, we have some things in common, yeah. which I'm really excited to yeah. um, kind of grasp a hold of. But when we first started talking, you started kind of li- listing out like your, uh, kind of like your bio to me. And I'm like, wow. Mm. Uh, okay. So entrepreneurial business minded. Yes. podcaster, um, yes. really, really passionate about giving men uh, great content, yeah, <laughs> helping yeah, them lead sure. better lives. Yeah, and that's right. Fresh author, right? Fresh author. Yep just just wrote a book, um, just published recently. Manhood empowered by the light of the gospel. Really excited about that. Uh, it's available online right now on Amazon for anybody. But yeah, so I uh, I started out in ministry. Early on, after college, uh, was a an area director for Young Life, and I think did you say you were familiar with? Oh Young my Life? gosh, that was another connection. Yeah. Like I did Young Life, um, very involved in high school. Be kind of came like a Young Life co leader. Oh yeah, and um, that's great. Just was huge part of my high school years. Really loved that. Yep, I same same kind of experience. I became a junior leader as well. And it was amazing because Young Life became the outreach tool, you know, for my Christian faith toward other men in or other other anybody in my high school at the time. And so, yeah, went on staff with Young Life eventually uh, soon after college uh, out in Chicago, northwest suburbs of Chicago, and uh, had a blast out there for about nine years and then moved to Pittsburgh, where in 2013, where I became a pastor, a men's pastor at a large church in the North Hills here. But along that journey, it kind of what you were talking about in terms of the entrepreneurial kind of side of me, while I was in Chicago was when the 2007-2008 global financial crisis happened. And it just, you know, it was interesting. It just piqued my curiosity. I just couldn't understand why were banks failing, you know? And and then and then wait, they're getting bailed out. What what does that mean they're getting bailed out? What why are they getting bailed out? Wait, who's the Federal Reserve? What and you know what I mean? Like I, I just I was like, wait, what is going on? And then the only way I can describe it is God lassoed my heart 
when it comes to economics, monetary history, monetary theory from a biblical Christian worldview. And it's been a 15-year journey, somewhere around there, ever since. I, I have not been able to stop uh, reading, learning about that kind of stuff. And then as I did that, though, too, I came to understand the incredible redemptive value of, of folks who, who are small business owners, entrepreneurs, investors, people who have skin in the game, that's critical, <laughs> who have skin in the game, and desire to, to produce value for other people. They take the creation mandate seriously that God handed down, I believe, to all Christians to take the raw materials that he's provided and use that to produce and in, in the process, you're going to grapple with the thorns and thistles of this fallen, broken, sinful world. And so immediately when you start moving in that direction uh, to be a producer in that way, you're going to feel the resistance right away. You're going to feel the, the, those thorns and thistles, thistles looking to sabotage your efforts. But God is with us in it, and he promises to be with us in it. Because the invitation is to come create with me. I want to create with you. And it, through that process, you learn and grow, obviously, not just yourself, but you learn about God as well. And so anyway, all that to be said, I, our American culture, especially just because I'm most familiar with it, needs more Christians to lay claim to that creation mandate, that entrepreneurial call that God has on all of our lives. And so I became very passionate about folks like that. And so now I am a Truth at Work chapter president, which is... Truth at Work is a marketplace ministry where I facilitate roundtables of uh, business own, Christian business owners and entrepreneurs and investors who have a, a passion to impact the community for the sake of the kingdom of God. So in, in the roundtable, we become a personal uh, advisory board to one another, help each other grow our businesses, and make an impact for the kingdom of God as, as a result, hopefully. Interesting. Uh, a lot I want to talk about here. <laughs> so... Uh, First of all, are, are Christians supposed to make a lot of money? Like, come on, man. <laughs> oh, oh, you just went there, didn't you? I did. You yes, study you financial did, stuff. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you, hit, you hit a few things. I'm like, okay, let's talk about the American banking system or the federal Ooh. banking system. Let's talk about all these really oh. kind of corrupt and broken things and bailouts. And, you know, they're very relevant right now. But then yep. the first thing that kind of came to my mind is you're, you're combining Christian and entrepreneur. And I really think sometimes people look at me and this is probably my own perception coming from a small town. Like, dude, you're focused too much on money. And my focus is not oh. on money. Uh, money is a side effect or, or a blessing that comes from using my gifts. And, um, and Amen. but, but I do think, and I, I'd love to hear from you that there's this really weird perception out there for, for Christian men who, you know, are, are crushing it or starting to crush it in their business. Yeah. So first of all, I would I would offer up just for anybody who might be interested in learning more about this. There's a book that that was written that I it, it's a longer technical book. It it so it's it's not a it's not a light read, but it's called the title is God is a capitalist. <laughs> oh wow. And and it is um I mean the title was meant to be, you know, it, it was meant to gain get your attention. I can't now. The author's name is escaping me right now. I've got it in my office or somewhere. I can't remember uh, who it is, but fantastic book. And what he does is he dives in deep into the effects of envy. And the church and Christians are not immune to this. 
we become envious and envy can be a very subtle, insidious influence on our lives and in our cultures. And, and it causes us to look at folks who are working like, like you are to build a business, for example, or have built a business and are, and, and others who are like that. And they, they look, I think in some ways, because, because it's not them, because, and, and often you assume when someone owns a business or they're an entrepreneur that they're independently wealthy in some way, <laughs> they're probably greedy, they're probably having to compromise their values in some way. And um, <laughs> when, when in actuality, the folks I've met, it's, it's quite, quite the opposite. That's not true. However, we, and we have trouble re- rectifying or reconciling the, the Christian faith with someone who's an entrepreneur who, who's profiting and becoming possibly rich. And so we assume negative things about them. However, if they give to the church or involved in philanthropy and give to ministries and stuff, okay, well, then maybe that kind of makes up for it. And unfortunately, small business owners and entrepreneurs fall into that same mindset trap where they feel guilty. When I was in Young Life and I was raising money uh, to, to uh, build our ministry, it was amazing how some business owners who wanted to support did it almost as if it was penance. For, mm-hmm. for all the wrong they did in the corporate world. And man, is that, that is really, really damaging, I, I think, to uh, culturally, uh, especially within the church, because it gives people this um, a very wrongheaded view of, of what, how God created us to be. So yes, we are called to be profitable. So when he says to create, to be fruitful and to multiply, it's more than just, yes, it means have kids, of course, but it also <laughs> does mean be profitable. And and build you know wealth and and allow that to in in many ways as, as you it, it can actually impact the community in very positive ways. So absolutely, I'm going to put Christians like in a in a hand in a basket like okay. they're all the same, right? Like right, just, just for the sake of conversation. But we're we're so quick to say how amazing it is that someone's so blessed with their family and how blessed they are with you know. Mm-hmm the gift of X, Y, and Z. But then when we talk about business, well, that's all selfish and you know, blessings come (laughs) in all sorts of clothing. They come in all, they come in all different flavors. And I have, I have really felt incredibly blessed in with my family, very healthy, very happy, very close. Uh, And, and then I'm like, well, what's the difference? Like really, what are we here doing? How are we making an impact on it? And it was really interesting because Years ago, I was listening to a sermon from my pastor, and there's a lot of money in the church, a lot. Oh, it's yeah. in a very, very wealthy area. Oh, okay. And and he said, you know, I want to address something. He said, one, we're, we have the, the, highest, the highest tithe um, or whatever, giving, like one of the highest in the world. And he said, well, we live in this area, but it's, it's just mm-hmm. part of our church culture. And um, he goes, and but I get a lot of emails and complaints from you about how so and so drives up in a, you know, a hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred thousand dollar car. He goes, here's the deal. Uh, there's some God has blessed these people tremendously because they are gifted and they are giving of their gifts, and He has blessed them with financial abundance. Right. But you don't know where their heart is. You don't know that guy who drives up in that car may have given over a million dollars to churches here. And it probably was more than 10, 20, 30, 40% of his, what he makes in a year. And 
he may not be in it for the tax refund or the tax you know exemption or whatever it is he's like you yeah. don't know and him driving that car is like you driving a moped that's the impact <laughs> it has on his income and so my brain and i think some people took mm. offense you know and they're like well yeah whatever we're like what's the way we could feed 20 families with that well yeah in my brain that created a shift it's like oh gosh we're so quick to judge people based on you know what they're making what house they live in what car they're driving how they're spending their money we have zero clue with zero clue and like hey look that guy may have been dreaming to have that car his entire life and has put forth an enormous amount of work and and even for me like i hit a goal i'm like hey if i hit a goal i'm gonna get a new air bike i'm gonna i'm gonna get a new torture device for my gym and um (laughs) you know that's the same as somebody maybe the same expense rate and maybe somebody buying a lamborghini like to them it's the same like percentage base and and mm-hmm. maybe they set a goal from themselves and they crushed it. And I don't know. It yeah. just gave me a new perspective about money. And I've been mm-hmm. really kind of changing the the outlook of money. And mm-hmm. there's a real hard line there between asking for God for blessings for of abundance uh, yeah. and keeping your heart in it for the right reason so that we can yeah. really use it for good, whatever that might mean. Yeah. And then the other the other piece to that is I think the the way our economy the monetary system is set up right now as you as you alluded to or said i guess pretty explicitly it's pretty broken and and uh and corrupt it it also how do i say it, it helps it, it helps it doesn't it definitely um reinforces that envy that people have mm-hmm. because of the incentives that are built into that structure it, it causes people who who maybe feel or are getting a shaft in some way or haven't learned how to play the game in, in the way that others have, it, it makes them angry, resentful, envious of other people. Absolutely. And I think uh, a lot of people don't understand entrepreneurship or business owner. Like they have zero desire to do it. They have zero right. understanding of how to step outside of the box and not have an expectant pay period. Like, oh, I'm going to get a paycheck. Like they, they, <laughs> They can't figure out why in the world we would do something, but with great re- risk is often great reward. That's and it's right. just a different game. It's a completely different game. And, yeah. um, you know, I think we just have to remember, cause sometimes I'm like, why in the world would someone want to work for somebody? I just don't like, it's like, <laughs> like wearing handcuffs. I don't understand it. And they're looking at me like, why in the world would you want to risk your like a regular pay? And I'm like, because right. reward is great for them. The reward of, of consistency and reliability is great. And I would argue they don't have it, but you know, we all tick yeah. in our own way. You are a fascinating individual. I'm going to, I'm going to shift here because I, <laughs> okay. I want to, I want to talk about Bitcoin today. I want to okay. talk about um, multiple things because you are, you're leading kind of a men's mastermind, you know, Christian mastermind thing, which I'm fascinated, love masterminds. Um, mm-hmm. You have your book. I want to talk about your book, but first, yeah. I want to talk about you've been in ministry, you know, you talked about young life. And then I, be, I believe you've been a men's uh, pastor for churches. Correct. Yep. That's right. Years of working in churches. Is that correct? Well, it, so I, I count young life in that. Yeah. So I, I would say, and, and in young life, I was actually kind of had my hands in multiple different churches in the area. And, and t- typically if, if you're on staff with young life and you're working with kids, that was my, the model that I, that I grew up in. So I, I came through Young Life when I was in high school as well. Impacted me a ton. That's where I owned my faith for the first time, I would say. And But my Young Life leader at the time was also, and I didn't know it in the moment until 
a little bit after I, I met him, but he, he was also my youth pastor at my church, which was a beautiful, beautiful thing because then it, I wanted to be where he was. So where was he? He was every Sunday at church. And so I wanted to be every Sunday in the pew with him in church. Uh, and that's where my roots sank in deep and I grew and served there. And then, like I said, Young Life became an outreach tool to my, to my friends. Right. And so I, I, with that being my base model, when I, when I started my ministry, I wanted to have that same impact. I wanted to, I wanted to have relationships with different churches in the area because either number one, some kids might have actually grown up to some extent in, in a church and that church might just be the best one to plug them back into, you know, that they maybe Mm -hmm. weren't a part of where do they, you know, where maybe it's where their parents go to church or, or maybe there's another church that I know that has, uh, if a kid isn't involved, that that would have be a great place for a kid to be plugged in. But I, I really wanted to know what was out there, be acquainted with the churches, have relationships with the pastors. So we ended up becoming a conduit, you know, as, as kids came to faith that we, we would know or have uh, a good not working knowledge of what churches mm. were available for them to get yeah. plugged into. Yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry. So what I was going to say was, discipleship actually started then in young life and, and working with men in terms of discipling the young adults, obviously the, the boys who were in, in high school, the young adults who are working with the, with those boys. And then also our, our young life committee and some of the other business owners in the community who would come alongside of us and help support us. I ended up often in roles of discipleship with them as well. Um, so then in 2013 is when I moved to the church, to become a men's pastor. And, and then that became obviously what I was paid for. Uh, primarily, and uh, did that for about seven years. So, and then, and, but just have constantly done it. Honestly, even even to this day, I still I still take it, it's just who I am. It's who God created me to be. Me coming to faith and being discipled. It's just natural now for me to disciple others who have come to faith. Yeah, that was one thing about uh, Young Life that was interesting. It was the different churches that would pull in, and then it almost kind of tied a community together, you know, in a, in yeah. a way. And, um, it was all it, at, at a young age for me, it was interesting, like being exposed to uh, individuals who didn't grow up in the same church as me. Cause I was really involved in my youth group and mm. really kind of it, pivotal in that. And then seeing outside and, and understanding that there are different community styles, there's different things going on. And, um, one thing does not fit everybody. Like, yeah, you know, there's, right. there's multiple like different communities. It's, it's, it's hard to explain if you haven't been in church, there's mm-hmm. almost like little cultures inside. Like one of some of them yep. are really, really into small groups and, and cultivating really, really close relationships. And some are very um, volunteer heavy. Like they're about going out into the community and serving community. It's yep. all just really positive stuff. Of course, yeah. churches have kind of human messiness in them because it's made of humans that's right and then of course we're going to focus on that because you know you christians are supposed to be perfect and if anybody's listening to this podcast you know i'm far from perfect and i'm happy to share i'm happy to share that but um one thing that you you talk very openly about and i mean if anybody's been listening to this podcast they know my stance on it that's porn and you Mm -hmm. you you're pretty open it always surprises me men who who have battled with porn and then they're like super vocal about it. It Mm. always surprises me because there's so much shame and weirdness around it, even though I don't know what the statistics are. Maybe you do, but like Mm. it's, um, it's very, very, very widely used. Um, 
I wish I knew the statistics coming out, but you, t- you told me a story about your wife catching you yeah. with porn as I think you were yeah. working in the church. Uh, yeah. Th- yeah. So that was my first stint in the church. That's right. I was, uh, I was in me- the media production department of our church at that point in time. I was, it was, while well, I was finishing college, it was kind of a, it was an internship and my wife was in children's ministry and so we had gotten an apartment together after we were engaged because not that we were going to actually live together before we got married. She actually lived with some friends, but it was a place that we could gather all of our stuff. I started living there until we got married. And, uh, and that was kind of the, the bad thing was then the computer's there. I'm there living alone all the time in the world to do whatever I want on the computer. And man, it just, it sucked me in. And unfortunately one day she, she came by the apartment and walked in while I was on the computer looking at porn and, uh, and it just, everything blew up. Um, and it was, it was a really, really horrifyingly shameful experience for both for, for her and for me. And, and for her, I think, you know, she had this perception that this is something that rapists and, and, uh, pedophiles deal with. Not my, not my Christian you know, soon to be husband who's in ministry and, you know, leading a youth ministry and all this other stuff. No way would he be doing this. But, and, and I had given her some inclination that I, that I, that I had a struggle there, but I, she didn't know the the extent of that struggle. I wasn't completely open with her about on a regular basis. I had just started doing counseling because I knew there was an issue and I was trying to figure it out, but that was God. And, and I tell the story in my book that that was God pushing me into the light. It, it didn't, it was actually a rescue, although it felt like a violent intrusion. And through that, we both experienced God's grace as a result. The church at the time just came around us, loved us, held us together through that experience. And praise God, we've been married for 18, it'll be 19 years in May, actually. So holy cow, which is coming up. <laughs> yeah, you better, you better be, May- have that on your watch, on your calendar. <laughs> That's right. May 1st, May 1st will be our 19 year anniversary. We've got a 14 year old son. And God has been so unbelievably faithful. And so there, there's a First um, Peter chapter 2, verses, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, light, excuse me, into his wonderful light. And that is really my that, that that's what this book is about it's it's my declaration of praise to the one who called me out of darkness into his wonderful light and through that i learned how to walk in the light because that's where i would experience god's grace afresh and and so and part of that is you know when you step into the light and you know i got lights on me right now i could take my hat off and now you can start seeing look i have no hair if i smile you can see my crooked teeth you know there's all sorts of imperfections I could point to that you see much better in the light than if I were in the dark, you know? So, I mean, gosh, if, if, if anybody's looking at the video right now, you can see the difference. See, you're in the dark right now, Scott, yep. <laughs> clearly. And it's, it's maybe harder to see your imperfections compared to mine. Anyway, that's, that's, that's why I do it. No, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. But, but to some extent though, when we, when we walk in the light, it, it, it's a step of faith because you have to believe that that God defines you, that you're forgiven and loved unconditionally by him and that your sin does not define you. Because when you step into the light, your weaknesses, your failures, your your sin is going to be exposed. 
thankfully, it's through that experience that you experience that, that, that God's grace comes into play. So even though I was completely laid bare, if you will, uh, everything I was most ashamed of spilled out for everybody to see, simultaneously, I experienced the covering of God's unconditional love and grace. And that absolutely changed my life. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's going to be hard for um, folks that aren't involved in, um, you know, a pursuit of Christ or, or have a Christian True. foundation. They'll be like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, I, the way I kind of simplify this and bring it into, you know, worldly terms, if you will, is that I think of your character, like I'm, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you, but I want, I want to yeah. like relate no, yeah. this out. Definitely. When, when I consider is something, is this something I should do or not do? And this is a filter I literally put things through. I asked myself, would, would I do this in a room with my best friend? And would I do this in a room with my wife? Yeah. And try fil- putting, your, putting those through your filter. Because even <laughs> if you're not a Christ follower and you, don't, you, you think all this is garbly gook and the Bible is just crazy, you know, old wives' tales or whatever, uh, it really doesn't matter because... Yeah your conscious, your moral compass will, will guide you in that situation. You'd be like, huh, yeah. well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. And I'm like, yeah, like, why would you want to hide something? Why would you want it in the dark? If, right. if it's okay. Right. Like, it's exactly right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, <laughs> I talk about that in the book. I, it's so funny. I, when I was a kid, in, in my grandparents' house, I would spend a lot of time at my grandparents. They lived close, and they were amazing, amazing people. And but they had a they had a cellar, and I would have to go run and get things in the cellar from them. And when I was little, I was scared to death because it was dark. Even even if you turn the light on, it wasn't super bright. It was still like there were still scary shadows. There was like this, like this crawl space on on the one side that looked like. Like as a kid, I'm imagining dead people reaching out and grabbing me and pulling me in and eating me, you know, things like that. It was scary. And so I would run out as quick as I could. So I was petrified of the dark. All right. And because, and it was dark down there because what I, what I thought was what I can't see will be a threat to me basically. And somehow or another, we, as men, (laughs) we, a switch flips and later on in life, the dark becomes our refuge. Mm. And then all of a sudden we find that that's the place we go to do the things that, that we would never do in the light, as you just said. And then for me, what I discovered is, holy cow, like I became the monster that I used to fear that, that I, I feared in the dark. Um, cause the darkness was actually darkest inside of me. Um, so anyway, yeah. So the reason I speak openly, honestly about it is because I remember when I was younger, it was college. And I heard someone talk about it for the first time. And it was like a cold glass of water in a hot desert because I, I had not heard anybody share openly about it. And so for me, I, it was like, wow, I, someone actually, there's someone else. I'm not alone. I, I can actually relate to someone. And so that's the reason why I share openly about it because I, I know it can, prov- it can provide a lifeline for other men. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, look, it's, even to bring it down a notch, I talk about porn, like I talk about everything. The fact that <laughs> yeah, it's the easy, it's the easy fix, it's the quick fix. And and mm. the easy shortcut is 
never leads to longevity of success in anything. If I were to take a shortcut and try to become an influencer on Instagram and buy an account that already has 100,000 followers, well, when I make my first post, I still have 100,000 followers. But guess what happens? That's not what they were following in the first place. That's Um, right. You know, and so all of a sudden, all you have to do is go down now. There's no up. You're going to go down unless you just put in the work over time and then might, you might come back up. The same is true for, for porn, for business. There is no shortcut, but if you do a shortcut, the reward is incredibly temporary. And that's the, the one thing that I would like hang my hat on. Like it's, Oh great. I got my fix. Woohoo. But I have no sense of conquering anything. Like anybody can click a button. Anybody can yep. do a search like yep. you, you had it really strips the masculinity from you because you've oh, now yeah. we have this history, this this life of having to pursue. We have mm-hmm. to pursue our, our spouse or our how we're going to procreate. We're going we have to pursue mm-hmm. how we're going to kill food and eat it or mm-hmm. make a business and earn money. None of that stuff comes easy No, And so when something comes super easy there are hooks and 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 snares and yeah. dangers luring in everything that comes easy. I, yeah. I I can't think of anything that comes easy that's really worth it. Well, and just I I think personally anything that I and, and this is funny this might bring us. I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of tease a little Bitcoin here. <laughs> so good. Um, you uh, personally, I found that 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 those hooks and snares are inside of me often because I want to get there easier. I don't want to have to work to get there. I want, I want people to follow me and, and it for it to be easy for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to put in the work. And uh, it's interesting because yeah, that was, um, and I say Bitcoin because when I first discovered Bitcoin, which is probably 2016, 2017, and especially 2017, when I saw it run up to like 17, 20,000, I mean, it would have been really easy. I, I, I thought to myself, I, I need to buy this. Like, it just keeps going up. They, they call it number go up. <laughs> so like, numbers going up, I need yeah. to buy in, right? I need to get on this train and, and head up. But but deep down, I knew that it was pure greed. I knew nothing about Bitcoin. Nothing. I thought it was just this weird digital money for computer gamers. And I don't know. But all I know is number go up. And so I'm going to buy in. And But it would have been me being really greedy if I had done that. And so I actually, I did hold off. (laughs) I didn't buy my first Bitcoin until 2022. Mm. And I'm grateful because now, because I understand the, what I call redemptive utility of it, it, uh, it, it, the price doesn't matter as much to me actually. So. All right. We got it. We got to talk about, sorry. I know. (laughs) Why is it? No, I, I like this. Uh, why is it greedy to take advantage of, um, of an opportunity? It's not. It's not at all. For me, I knew I just knew I know myself basically. Mm. And I know I know where often where that greed lies inside of me. And so when I was looking at it, I, I think it just to at least a certain extent, I knew it I kept fighting this tension. I kept asking myself, why do I want to do this? Do I just is it it's because I want to get rich, right? If and I kept following that that thought process through, okay, let's say I put the money in, okay? And it, and it and it does go up, and I do get rich. Um, 
how's that going to affect me? What if I put the money in and it goes down and I lose everything? And and I kept coming back to the fact that I just don't know enough about this. I don't know enough about it. And and, and that's one of my first, I, I'd say, from an economic standpoint, one of my key principles of of biblical entrepreneurship uh, investing is that you only invest in what you what you have a wealth of knowledge about. I, I think I, that that's my own personal principle. I think it's, that's a smart a smart way to operate for sure. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why I held off, uh, and and then I did watch it go down to thirty five hundred actually after that, and then yeah, there's another time too. Right? <laughs> I watched another video about it, and a guy said, "Hey, there's going to be a, a having event," and it it just it just the amount of Bitcoin released every ten minutes gets cut in half basically. Oh, wow. I think this was around twenty twenty, and he said, "Hey, now's a great time to buy in." And it was about thirty five hundred. He said, "All you need is like five hundred dollars worth, like, and you're going to do great." And man, was I tempted, but I still did not know enough. And well, the other part too. This this <laughs> this helps. You know, my wife wasn't on board either, so I I would have had to go behind her back if I was going to do that, and I didn't want to do that either. So I, I held off, and it and lo and behold, it did. It went up to it went over twenty thousand at that oh. that time, and I was. I was kicking myself, right? But anyway, to, to, to your point though, I knew myself. I knew that I could tell like this was greed. If if I really wanted, I didn't know anything about it. And I had previously done a lot of work in terms of economics and understanding those those basic principles. And I knew I'd be violating it if I jumped in then. That's such a good good point. I never considered that. And I've always wondered like, why didn't I do Bitcoin? or Dogecoin, which in some of these other coins, which I'm really glad I didn't. But um, it was my answer to everyone was, I don't have time right now to invest to really understand it. And if I don't understand it, it it just, I didn't have like a reasoning like you did. I'm like, it just doesn't make sense for me to do it unless I learn it. And I don't have the bandwidth to learn it, nor do I want to put the bandwidth to learn it right now as building another business. And that's why I never did it. Now do I kind of kick myself like, well, yeah, like I wish I would have taken interest when I actually had time to take interest. And, Mm -hmm. but I also completely think this was wise because if I would have got into Bitcoin, I might've got into other currency and lost more and got sucked into some of the, some of the things that just like were, were Mm. scheme schemes. And I, yeah. in the in the in a similar story, I'm in a big mastermind, and there was a guy that kind of came in and was doing all these offers. You know, 25k, and you get this, and then you'll make it back in three years, and blah 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 blah. blah. And something in me was like, I don't understand what he's doing, but everyone was jumping on board. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like everybody was like, Oh my gosh, this is yeah. the best thing. They're doing webinars and trainings, and you know walking through the warehouse and all of these things. And I'm like, what is going on? Something inside of me was, this is not right. So I tried to ask questions and I just still couldn't get to like, what hmm. exactly is the business? And sure <laughs> enough, I don't know how many people they would, they would say, Oh, are you done that? I'm like, no, I don't want to say anything bad, but just something isn't sitting right with me. And of course, now they're under investigation for the FCC. And wow. um, people are coming out everywhere about how much money they lost. And 
Oh my There's goodness. just, you know, when you have that little feel for men, I would say like, if you have yeah. that like tug that says something's not right here, mm-hmm. look, don't move until you've done the work, do the work. And I think that's what right. we're talking about. Like yep. do the work and anything that you do, it's not worth having unless you've done the work. Yeah, that it's, oh my goodness. You, <laughs> you just, that's like a classic line in, in Bitcoin culture is, mm. is do the work. It is, of course, a proof of work uh, cryptocurrency, and we can get into that later if you want to get there. But, but they they say it takes work. In fact, they would say to be really have a good base of understanding Bitcoin, it takes about a hundred hours of research and education. And and I I know I I went through that process myself, and it did. It's taken me. Let me think here. 2020. Well, let me think. 2017. I really started educating myself, and then. 2022 was when I first bought. So what's that? Three, four, four, five years before yeah. I actually bought in. It took me some time, and which is yeah, we yeah th- we say that often in the Bitcoin community that it takes work to understand it. A lot of people just don't don't have that uh, uh, that inspiration to do that basically. And it yeah, and that's what's given given credibility of it to me was mm-hmm. it was never a get you know, this is easy, just do X, Y, and Z, you know, get your digital wallet all set up and you're good to go. And I'm like, one, I got to understand what a digital wallet is. Two, I got to understand how in the world I'm going to store a password that I can remember that is as crazy as this one is that, that like all these little things were like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yes. Had I done it? Sure. I could, I could be on the upside of a couple million. I, I would guess pretty yeah. easily have come in at the right time, but I yeah. still wouldn't understand it. So I probably wouldn't be, I probably would have lost it. I probably would have pulled it the second it made like $15,000. I'm, yeah, I'm done. And, right. and that's where work comes in. It's yes. just like building a business. I see people, they come in, they build a business, everything's going really good. And they're like, woohoo, I'm riding this wave. And then it just crashes and burns because they didn't continue to do the work. There's mm. a quick win, boom, gone. Um, and, uh, yeah. Crash and fail. <laughs> I know. So oh, you, this, this you've been, do, you studied for that long. So you, it took major discipline for you to, to get into it. Yeah. I, well, it became an obsession. I, um, like discipline, I told you, obsession, come on. <laughs> it's like I said, with, with the economics thing that kind of my heart was lassoed. It wouldn't let me go. It had me more than I had it in a mm. sense. And the same thing happened with Bitcoin because after studying like I have now, I, the, the the metaphor that I use to describe it is that Bitcoin is a is a monetary plumb line. So aside from something like gold and silver, which has traditionally been the standard for money and, and a store of value, I would say Bitcoin is uh, is the other monetary plumb line from th- that's been that's a monetary technology that's been engineered, if if you will, and. What's amazing is when if you think of a plumb line, and for those of you who don't know what a plumb line, it's like a it's like a plumb bob or a weight at the bottom of hanging from a string, and you use it in construction, especially in masonry. They use it when they're building walls to hang it there and 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 to make sure that your wall is straight and plumb or level. And uh, and so what happens is it, as you take this monetary plumb line in a sense, and you hold it up against all these other things in our economy, in our world, it's like, whoa, that's not right. Whoa, that's crooked. Whoa, that's, there's something wrong there. 
it just brings clarity and insight about all the different corruption and, and injustices going on in, in our monetary and economic system. That's really, that's really interesting. I mean, you had me at, you know, studying why 2008 happened and, and bank, yeah. bank bailouts and, right, right. you know, and we're starting to see. So what's your, what, hope, this will be timely. This release is really fast. So what's your, what's your thought on all this um, new mm. bank stuff going on? We're starting to see some fail. We've seen one bank fail, maybe more. I'm, I don't really follow the news, but I'm yeah. guessing you follow some of this. We've got the, um, mm-hmm. it's SVB. I can't remember. Yep. Oh. SVB and uh, Silvergate. Was it? No, no, no. Silver. I forget the other. There is another bank. I can't remember now off, off the top of my head, but well, yeah, SVB was one of them. I, I'm curious if you've ever read the book or or studied the history of banks and kind of like the, the way they go. But have you read the book Killing Sacred Cows? Oh, my gosh. That's one of my favorite books yeah. ever. Garrett Gunderson. Yep. Yes. Okay. Oh, so, my goodness. Definitely. So, if guys, if you haven't read that and you're you're really, you know, like bought into banking and um, all the things that, that society tells you that make you successful later in your life, you, you might want to give that one uh, yeah. a read and then read it again. And then you can either hate me for it or you can send me th- <laughs> a big thank you note for it. That's right. Um, if you hate me for it, like, hey, look, whatever, you bought hook, line, and sinker, what the government <laughs> wants you to know, wants you to think. But for for most people, it's like, whoa, thanks for sharing that with me. That's insane. I've actually completely changed my the way I think, completely. Yeah. As I came out of a master's degree in education, and so I'm I'm young, mm-hmm. I'm being brought up in the, the NEA world, um, National Education Association, which is oh, okay. just, you know, Get your four hundred one. Get your your, oh, yeah. your retirement. That's all that matters. Do your thirty years. Retire amazing. And I'm like, wow, that's boring for me. Literally, my mind the whole time was like, that's boring as hell. Why would I want to stop working? I don't get like I never got it. And then yeah. reading something like this and t- learning about leveraging money and how banks leverage money and like, mm-hmm. why aren't you doing what they're doing? Huh? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> but anyway, so what are your thoughts on on this current? current thing going on so sadly unfortunately that because our monetary system is so centralized so jerome powell some of you might know who he is he's the federal reserve chair and basically what the federal reserve is for those of you don't know it's a conglomeration of of private banks it's not federal and there's no reserve of anything there (laughs) they are they've been commissioned and are in cahoots with the government to create currency there are many private banks and people out there who are in special positions who profit greatly from it. And so unfortunately, when you have a centralized authority over especially the economy, that that is that never, ever works. I mean, the economy is so unbelievably complicated. Really, nobody understands exactly what's going on in the economy. It, it's really, really hard to get a grasp. I mean, there, there are some markers you can you can see, I think, on a macro level, but it, it is way too complicated for one person to be in charge of, let alone a, a one kind of a group of people, if you will. And so he's he, right now they are they've been raising rates extremely fast, extremely fast to I think we're up to five percent right now. I think is that right, or is it five and a quarter? They just raised it another quarter percent recently. And unfortunately, when you do that, the, the like for SVB, the assets that they had on uh, on the books were at a certain percent. Uh, interest rate, the bonds that they owned. And with rates going up, it they lost, they took a haircut on the bonds that they owned, that, that they owned, on top of the fact that 
they they were doing some other kind of risky stuff and it all kind of collapsed. They should have seen it a, a long time ago. They should have noticed that, hey, we're we're in a tenuous situation and need to make some adjustments. But they, the way I've heard it described is they, they were asleep at the wheel with regard to that. And SVB was also a unique bank. I mean, it, it was specialized in with entrepreneurs and especially the crypto businesses that people were starting. So it was very unique in that sense. But yeah, so unfortunately, they, they were raising interest rates and it, we'll see. I, I'm not sure if they're going to continue or not, but you do that until something breaks, especially when you have already uh, a, a corrupt base layer of money, which which the dollar is, unfortunately. It is, it's, it's what's known as fiat currency. It just means that the government has said it's decreed that this will be money, but there's nothing maybe people have heard this before there's nothing backing it up so they can produce as much as they want and that's so as they inflate the currency supply then prices begin to inflate because there's more currency chasing fewer goods and services and so we're experiencing that because there's been a ton of currency trillions trillions of dollars created in the last what 10 20 years now and of course we're going to see inflation in terms of the prices reflected in that and so the answer to that, yeah, the answer to that is raising rates because they produced all that currency in like a 0% interest rate. So, and here's why it's corrupt. It's corrupt because they are producing money, and I use air quotes, money, uh, without working for it. Right. So we're just talking about, we're just talking about, you know, showing your work, you know, doing the work. The work is not being done to create the currency that's being created in our country right now. So the only other way that this money it comes into existence and has any value of, at all is that value from everybody else's dollar is stolen from them. So inflation is is theft. It's it's a it's an invisible tax on the people and most people don't understand that. And so anyway, so in order to to help fight that inflation they're bringing rates up but there are all sorts of other systemic fragilities in the system that end up breaking as a result. So I don't think we've seen the end. I think, I don't know if it's going to be banks. We could see more bank failures. I know I know um, Credit Suisse was in trouble, but I, I think that might have been somewhat resolved or something. But they're going to be, there are fragilities built into the system, unfortunately, that, that have you know cracks in it, if you will, because of the mere fact that we have a a, a a money that doesn't preserve value and it's, and it's corrupt in, by nature. Yeah. And Hey, look, if you think this is, uh, you know, conspiracy stuff, good for you. Go uh, fine. <laughs> I'm okay with you thinking that, but when you really look into this and I'm n- no expert, but what I have read and understand is just as you're saying, and when there's money involved and there's people involved and m- multiple people who stand to gain there's going to be some funky stuff going on and there's a lot of funky yeah. stuff going on. And, and just the the fact that the trillions that we've just, you know, you just print money. That's all you do without yeah. <laughs> giving it value is, um, is yeah. atrocious. So I, I, I thought I would kind of bend your ear on that because, you know, 2008 was a marker. I wasn't paying attention. I knew things were going on. Obviously I, I yeah. lost uh, just in my home. I had to sell it to relocate to Texas for 125,000 less than I owed on it. Oh man. Um, just so yeah. my, I wanted to move my family desperately. So we took that <sighs> loss. We took that hit. 
And, um, you know, I, I probably got out easy compared to a lot of people. I think a lot of people filed bankruptcy and other things, which I didn't do. But you still look back at that and you're like, wait, what are we doing right now? Because we started bailing banks out back then and we're starting to do that now. Hmm. Right. <laughs> there's so, yeah, there's so many layers to it as well, which is why it takes a while to kind of wrap your head around it. And, and just, so if anybody is interested in, in learning more, uh, I would say there's some great, there's some great educational material. You mentioned the one book, which is great from a Bitcoin standpoint. So if you're a Christian, I would recommend the book, thank God for Bitcoin, mm. by a guy named Jimmy song. It gives a, a, a nice kind of history of, of monetary corruption <laughs> and unveils kind of that what, what happened from a biblical standpoint and then helps you understand how Bitcoin is designed to, uh, to remedy that or, or as, as they would say, redeem money. And then the other book, that, that there are two books actually from a guy named Saifedean Amos, I think is how you pronounce his last name. It's called, uh, you, it's called The Bitcoin Standard. Is the first one, and then there's the fiat standard. Mm. These are fantastic books to kind of get an idea and learn more about uh, about Bitcoin. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I've never talked about Bitcoin on my podcast, and you get you know a lot of people are like, well, it's it's podcast about leading your family. <laughs> well, hey, look, financial education is a really good and um, an important way to lead your family. So it's Amen. very relevant, and I think a lot of guys are interested in it. So you said you started in you started in actually kind of trading in Bitcoin or whatever you call it. Was it 2021? <laughs> it 2022. 2022. And it's, it's not, yeah, it's not trading. It's, it, it's just accumulating. Accumulating. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Accumulating. And then at the same time, educating, continually, continually growing and learning. Because again, like when you, as you learn more about the basics of Bitcoin and, and the, the, uh, the protocol, if you will, in, in the technology and how it works, I'm telling you, it acts like a plumb line and, and you just, it brings up all these other tangential conversations about what's going on in the world and the incentives, the perverse incentives that people unfortunately are, uh, I don't want to say victims of, but in a sense victims of because of the system and the way the, the, way the incentives are built into it. And so it it keeps getting deeper. Like I, I've not, I have not come near to plumbing the depths of of this topic. Mm. And I, I still feel like a newbie, honestly. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's incredible. So let's switch gears a little bit. Obviously this podcast is for me, what I tell guys is like in helping men become better leaders in their home and in their community. You're, we both have, I think pretty similar callings in trying to mm -hmm. give men tools to kind of step up a little bit. So you wrote this book. Um, and then what part of this book, how is that book? kind of achieving maybe your vision or your mission in your work. Hmm. That's great. So my ultimate goal with this book, uh, I guess if, if I were to kind of try to say it in, in a sentence or two would be that I'm trying to help complacent Christian men avoid a life of inconsequence through what I describe as self-help works-based uh, approach to God. And, uh, and so Unfortunately, for a lot of Christian men today, we fall into the same the same issues that any other man would fall into, that that we want to work hard and accomplish and grow ourselves, of course, and we want to have influence on our family and our, our wives and our children. However, we bear such a burden, and, and, and that burden can be crushing at times. 
And my, what I'm trying to say in the book is that, man, men, if we really want to lead, we actually need to lay that burden down because what we're taught growing up. And I, I think most men will relate to this is we're taught that you got to be strong, got to be stoic. You got to, you know, not show weakness, you know? And so we don't, we want to actually demonstrate or show to other people that we are self-reliant and that is such a lie. It's <laughs> such a lie. Nobody who's successful is self-reliant. Right. Nobody. And uh, and so I there's a story that I tell in the book. I used to work at the tie rack in the Pittsburgh National Airport selling neckties. And one at one point I uh I, I would I would take my lunch in Tupperware containers, and then when I was done eating lunch, I'd go rinse it out in the bathroom. And I was in the bathroom rinsing out the Tupperware container. And someone in the stall behind me came to my attention because this this guy, he left without washing his hands. And it was just kind of like one of those things where, you know, I, I take that seriously. Yeah. I, I don't want like, to, do. you know, and so it was kind of a little bit like, oh, that's kind of gross. What a goofball. But then it, shortly after I heard this laughing, kind of a cackling kind of sound coming from the other side of the restroom. And so for, for those who've never been to the airport bathroom in, in Pittsburgh, it's it, there's this big center wall with with sinks on either side, and then on one half on the up on the opposite wall there's stalls, and then on the other side of that wall there's urinals. And I was on the side with the stalls, and I heard laughing coming from the other side, but I couldn't see it. So I, I peeked my head around the side and saw like three or four women laughing and pointing at me. And my first thought was, wow, that's really embarrassing. Those women are in the men's bathroom. And then, then I realized, no, goofball, you're in the women's bathroom. <laughs> and, and now, okay, look, and I'm sorry, I know this is very controversial these days. You would never think that this would be controversial, but <laughs> I know. Here <laughs> but, we go. Yes, I was in the women's bathroom. And, and so, and then it hit me, that guy I thought was behind me, that was a woman. So no wonder she left without washing her. She left, but she probably got out and saw me and was like, what? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking like, what the crap do I do? This is, oh man, I was so embarrassed. Like I didn't know I was paralyzed for a moment. And finally I just thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to walk out. Like I own the place. <laughs> and that's, that, that's what I did. I, I decided I'm just going to walk out past those women, head held eye, chest out, and just pretend like I own the place. And I did. I survived <laughs> somehow. I didn't, I didn't get in trouble. And, but that is how most men live our lives. We live our lives just hoping not to be found out and, uh, and acting like we own the place. And it becomes this, this deal where, Hey, whoever's best at convincing everybody else that you've, that you own the place, man, you get the most respect and, and everybody else needs to kind of catch up and, and pretend harder, I guess. And that, that was my life, man. I, so it became about image management. You know, um, I became a great liar, a great manipulator, a great people pleaser, but it was all, it was all fake. It was all show. Right. And unfortunately that that's the burden. I think so many men we feel, we feel like if, if, if we acknowledge the truth or reveal the truth about ourselves that we're so ashamed of, it's, it's just, it's going to all fall apart. And nobody's going to love us, right? Man, nobody's you just love you, you just summarized something that I've been chasing for a little bit, trying to figure mm -hmm. out. You first of all, you said 
complacent men. And I really believe, and Hey, like if you, if you're a Christian man, like I want, I want this, if it bothers you, I want it to bother you. I believe Mm -hmm. that a majority of Christian men are living very complacent lives right now. They're not, they're not living a life of significance because of what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. And and I feel so incredibly strong about this. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm really great. Glad grateful that you're bringing this up and talking about it. This image management Mm-hmm. is such a fallacy it's such a lie mm. and i started my wife and i started yeah. leading a group a local church group a home group if you will or whatever you want to call them and yeah. a few months in i kept talking to these guys i'm like i just for some reason figured every guy wanted to to be authentic every guy <laughs> wanted to like better you went in assuming that <laughs> um i'm like what i was in this place in life where i'm like wanted to shake him like what is wrong with you and looking back you just pinned it there's a there's a lot of layers here and i figured a lot of them out they were literally doing church and groups as image management they were Mm -hmm. making it appear that everything is good with their christian walk and this is why people can't stand you know have have issues with christians (laughs) they're like you're you're such a hypocrite. Of course, right. we're sinners. We're hypocrites. I mean, everyone's a hypocrite in some way or has had hypocrite tendencies, but they are yeah. living this lie. And I'm like, yeah. why are you coming to this group to grow if you're unwilling to grow? What is it you want out of it? And and they would ask for Bible studies. I'm like, but you don't do any of the work to come here you just come here and you sit and you <laughs> like just stare at me and you're right. begging and i'm like hey let's not do a bible study let's just have the in-depth conversations well no i'm not gonna do that like we have to have a bible study. is this so you can tell people you do a bible study oh, like i i was right. like and i looked at my wife and i'm like i'm gonna call them out i'm gonna start calling them out one-on-one i'm gonna mm-hmm. talk to these guys i'm gonna call them out like why are you doing this and yeah. all i got was absolutely horrified like (laughs) i don't like you're crazy like these men were like like why are why are you here like why are we wasting our time with you if you don't do the work and you're not interested in anything other than just telling people you're in a bible study they had no answer and i i was like i was at this place where i'm like dude i can't do this Hmm. like i will be here I will lead you. I will love you. I'll walk beside you, but you have to do the damn work or I'm not even going to stay in the room with you. And they, yeah. they literally, they're like, okay. They're like, we're, we're, we're going to find a group. <laughs> like, Oh wow. Good. So they left your group. I actually, I actually shut it down. I told my wife, I'm not leading this group wow. of people. Cause wow. I, I approached each one of them and they were all flaccid, wow. complacent men. And, and I got really angry with men in church and I started to observe and I started to look and I started to watch. I pay attention to people. Like when yeah, I get in groups, observer. I'm pretty quiet. I'll, I'll present yeah. and then I'm pretty quiet, standoffish. I'm watching. And I just kept observing the same thing over and over and again. I'm like, I have to be in a place where I can impact these men somehow and then right. surround myself with men who are not like this, who are striving to be better, who are striving to be leaders, who are just stri- striving to not be complacent what can i do that's where all of this comes from like what can i do i need to do something but i want men who actually want it and i got to get a way to 
you know, you just want to shake people. I don't know if you I, ever feel I, like I, that. I, oh, yeah. I mean, I was a men's pastor. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you just described. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you how many times I experienced that. But I applaud you for from calling them out and then moving on and spending the time where it's most valuable to those who really want to change and, and work on themselves. Well, it's interesting because my wife and I started doing more marriage ministry. And mm. what I have learned is that a way to wake men up, one of the ways to wake men up is to get to the hearts of their wives is to mm. like, yeah, like yeah. stir something in them where they start to look at their husband like, Wait a minute. Uh, why aren't you doing what Scott and those other guys are doing? Like, why why aren't you learning how to be a better husband? Why aren't you focusing yeah. on being a better father? And so, like, when I try to sell an event, when yeah. I make social media posts that call to the women is when I get the sales. Women, your husband need this. You need to be pushing him out the door. Women who sent their or whose husbands went last year are begging them to come this year. They are the driving yeah. force. And so yep. being in marriage ministry and starting to talk to men about their relationships and what it takes to to live like such an amazing, f- fulfilling life of um, just amazingness is <laughs> through your your spouse, through loving your wife and through stepping up in new areas. Anyway, I didn't mean for this to be my platform, but you struck no, that's a chord great. because this is, we are in a culture of complacency and we are in a culture of image management. And there was a point in my life where I used to be really like, I just shrink down in rooms. Yes. And, oh. and I realized yeah. that all those men I was shrinking to were not, that was a shell. That was a shell game they were putting on. And then <laughs> once I realized like, like wow. I'm just going to go be me because nobody else is. And if they don't like me, I don't really care because they're not real. (laughs) Right. And one, hopefully that drew real men to you then, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And then, or you'll get the guys who will come up quietly and say, Hey, uh, I I see what you got. And I, and I, I'm not there. And I, could you help me get there? Absolutely. Praise God. Like that's who you want. You know that you want that guy. Yeah. Yeah, and and unfortunately, there is a lot of complacent men that are non-believers, but I just have so little tolerance for letting that be the norm with men in the church. Very little tolerance. Like we yeah. we need to shake the church. The men, yeah. the men are not leading. They're not um, showing people mm-hmm. their families how mm-hmm. to be. They're not showing them how to be the best man they can be. Yeah. How to lead in a strong and positive place. So I love that work, man. And it's so cool that you have a bathroom story because I have a really (laughs) profound bathroom story. I talk about with, with complacency. Sweet. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'll go there. I was going to say, you can't just put that out there and not told it on the podcast, but you haven't heard it. And I'm sure I have not. Yeah. So I heard this from someone else. So, and it has a lot to do with just being okay with where you're at. Yeah. And so this guy kind of told this story. He's like, I, I had to go really bad, like really bad. Yeah. There was no way around it. And so I went into the public restroom and I got hit. Like he's like, so I'll tell it like it's me. I, I, I opened the door and this has happened to all of us. So you're going to relate okay. with this, whether you want to share it or not. You walk <laughs> in and you're like, oh my gosh, that is not a good smell. That is horrible in there. 
but you don't oh, have yeah. a choice at this point. You're like, right. I got this yeah. far. My body is responding and I got to yeah. go spend some time in there. So you, That's right. you buckle down and you do what you need to do and you finish up you go wash your hands and you're, you're getting, hopefully you're washing your hands. Right. <laughs> Unless exactly. you're in the wrong bathroom. Um, you wash your <laughs> yeah, hands right. and some other guy comes barging in and you see that same like, whoa. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Mm. I'm like, I don't, that's weird. I don't mm. smell that anymore. But I remember that when I came in, Great it was point. atrocious. Yeah, right, right. And I, I'm telling, I want to tell men Sometimes when you sit and you are resting in a place that is a really bad situation. Yeah. Work, maybe your workplace, maybe it's super volatile or super negative and maybe there's just an error of something wrong. Maybe you're you you think you're stuck in a job and you there's yeah. no way out. Maybe you are going home and doing the same thing every night, watching TV, drinking a beer, kind of pushing your family away, playing video games. For God's sake, if you're playing video games, grow up. Um, <laughs> but And don't say that playing video games with your kids is spending time with them. I will not hear that. <laughs> so anyway, okay. You, uh, you hit great, some, we were hitting some, some, some things here. But yeah. you are sitting in a room excuse my language this smells like shit yeah and you don't even know it because you're comfortable there right now it's providing you comfort that you would rather sit in disgust out of fear of change than step out and step into a new room yeah you don't smell it you don't smell it anymore right and so it's just become normal that is my analogy for where a lot of men are at dude Yes. And that's, and that's a great analogy for why we need other men in our life to step in and say, Whoo, you stink. <laughs> you know, we need that. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing. But see, and that's where for me, that's why the, the book I wrote is entitled manhood empowered mm. by the light of the gospel. Cause that's what I think. Like if I'm in that, that battle of image management and trying to make myself look good, I'm going to do everything I can to ex- escape acknowledging that that shit smell yeah okay i'm gonna do everything i can to to try to i don't know perfume it up whatever or or change misdirect whatever but when when i have in in god when i have a safe place where i where he where i'm convinced that he loves me unconditionally and my identity is secure and he has and, and there's no one else of consequence to point a finger at me because god has forgiven me for my sins and and no one else it can say you know wow you're bad then it it gives me a confidence that that that's outside of myself and and that's a, i think unfortunately we we keep looking for confidence inside ourselves and for me it 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 had to come from outside from god and then that produces the confidence inside and then that empowers me to live a better life because it's it's not me and actually, I talk about this in the book because God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't just, you know, uh, people, those of you who aren't, aren't Christians have probably heard it said, you know, when you're saved. So those Christians who are saved, if you will, when when you're saved, you're not left to your own devices. In fact, in, in Philippians 2.13, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So God works inside of you to even give you the desire to, to live a, a good life, a better life. 
Because honestly, like you said, we're, we're stuck in that place. We don't smell it anymore. We don't recognize um, how bad our life has gotten. And there's no motivation to change. And God's spirit, when he, when the Holy Spirit comes in you and you're saved, man, it, it begins to change you from the inside out. And that, that's what I find so encouraging because then it's not up to me. It's not my burden. God has accepted responsibility for my character development. Mm. And, it, and therefore, it's me entrusting myself to him in that process that grows me. So then it's not up to me. I, it, the pressure is off. Like I can let go because it, it's not about me. It's good. It's good. Uh, I can't wait to get your book. Yeah, I think we're gonna, I think I'm going to really relate to a lot of it. I'm sad I didn't read it beforehand, um, but it's it, there's so much truth in this, and there's so much truth. And mm. I'll, I'll even bring it back when you have men in your life who have this foundation in in the in Christianity in Christ. Yeah, um, and I'm sure this happens outside of this, but we have this we have this operating baseline. We have this moral foundation and this operating baseline. And what I've noticed is when you surround yourself with men like that who are actually going against the grain of complacency and get it, when you surround yourself with those men, that's why truth at work is awesome, what you're doing. But when you surround yourself with those men, those people, (laughs) they will actually look at you and say, I love you. Right. You are incredible. But you but smell like shit. You smell like shit. <laughs> and I and I started right? <laughs> to get people in my life like that. And I was I was like, ouch. Ooh, mm. ouch. I don't know what I think about this. But yeah. when I embraced it, I was like, oh, you just shined a mirror on me mm-hmm. that I I didn't see that angle. And yeah. that's where growth happens. And especially when yeah, it's someone exactly. who does it out of love, they just yep. genuinely want you to be better. And they may not say it. They might ask you questions to get you there yourself. That will have a, an amazing friend, Josh oh. Price, who's really good at that. He's like, well, let me ask yeah. you a few questions. And then it's just question after <laughs> yes. question after question. Oh. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think I know where we're going with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the questions are the most amazing way yeah. to uncover the truth. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, exactly. You don't have to force it. You don't have to force feed someone the truth. Just ask them questions, and sometimes they'll come to it themselves. Oh, yeah. Not, uh, if you're good at it, almost every yeah, time. Right. Come to, <laughs> it takes practice. <laughs> yeah, right. It definitely takes practice. Well, I'm I'm pumped to read your book. I'm really excited you came to talk about, um, you know, Bitcoin, porn, Jesus, <laughs> all the things in between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a blast, Scott, yeah. man. I've, I've loved being with you, brother. Well, you know, um, first of all, do a quick plug for your book. We'll, yeah. we'll go from there. So yeah, the book is Manhood Empowered by the Light of the Gospel. It's available on Amazon right now for, for or if you want to grab a copy. There's also a, a couple other things. So I just, I, there's a Facebook group, mm, cool. Empowered Manhood, that anybody's uh, welcome to join. And there is that's where I'm kind of really interacting a little bit more intimately with guys who join that group. So if, if you guys, if you read the book, if it really touches you and, and influences you and you want to be together with other men who've who've gone you know read the book themselves too and are on that journey to empowered manhood and be an encouragement to one another join the facebook group would love to have you there i'm i'm posting every week multiple times a week and i'm doing right now i'm doing a live um it's facebook rooms oh yeah a live facebook room every week where i'm going we just did chapter 1 this week introduction to chapter 1 next week will be chapter 2 so i'll be on like week 3 or 4ish jump in 
and uh, I'd love to, I'd love to meet you. And uh, empoweredmanhood.com is my website. And it is, guys, look, it's nothing impressive. It is a shell of a website just <laughs> to promote that. my book. I'm sorry. I'm hoping to build it out more, but you will at least learn a little bit more about me and, and the book. So that's another. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, like I said, Facebook. And then I'm on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter Ooh. as well. But then uh, our podcast. Mm-hmm. So Empowered Manhood is the podcast. And would love for you guys to to listen there. There's all sorts of amazing people there, Yeah, eventually, including Scott Ramage. Yeah, you can hear more of me. I don't know if you're listening to this, if you want that, but <laughs> what I love about being on other people's podcasts is I get to cut loose. Like, I don't really yeah. cut loose on my own, right? I'm like, well, this is someone else's platform yeah. opportunity to talk, but sometimes I... I get a little excited like I did today and share a little bit, but that's what I do on other people's podcasts. I'm like, okay, let's, let's lift the lid here. Let's go ahead and I'm going to dump everything I feel right now on you. (laughs) I'm going to bring it. So I can't wait to do that. That's great. Um, All those things will be in the show notes guys. So you can, and, and there's, there's a lot of women listeners. So women, so you can subtly like put that book like on the counter or something. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and that's Scott, that's interesting you say, cause there's a lot of listeners to our podcast that are women too, yeah. that will message me and say, Hey, I hope it's okay, but I've been listening to the podcast too. As if they're asking your permission. Uh, they do. You they ask my permission. I'm like, I know it's not designed for me. I'm like, this is designed for any way that it can impact men. I don't care how we get yeah. there, uh, but there yeah. is that subtle art of promotion without, you know, being a nag, which is going to drive them away. But, right. Um, right. Yeah. I, so I'm very thankful for my, my women listeners. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting They're They often give me the pump in the arm I need. And then once in a while I'll get like, you know, at least once a month, I get this message from a guy I've never met, never heard from, never interacted in social media. And he's like, man, you've changed my life. I'm like, what? Where, <laughs> how come you haven't said anything? Oh. And when you told this story in Facebook and when you did that, I'm like, Dude, where are you? Like, you know, there's yeah. just a lot of guys just watching. Oh, I know. Yeah. And that's very true. That's important to remember know. when we're in this work is there's just a lot of guys watching and listening. We don't know who we're impacting or yeah. what we're impacting. I have to believe I am because it's a lot of work, a lot of time, but it's a it's a labor of love. I absolutely love this because I love talking to guys like you. So thank you so much for coming on, dude. Such a pleasure, Scott. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Yeah, for sure. Guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, you know the drill, do the thing and um, go like go check out this podcast, go check out Mike's stuff. It's, um, it's good. And if you're not like, look, hey, let me if you're not a Christian, it's okay. And you won't burn up your hands won't burst into fire if you consume any of this stuff and you won't automatically become like this crazy Christian person, I promise but it doesn't hurt to kind of like look into it. So do your thing. Uh, keep listening. And oh, if you haven't, just go register for the big event, thebrotherhoodoffatherhood.com slash events. Scroll to the bottom. It says register. That's actually how you pay, which is incredibly confusing to men for some reason. They're like, I don't can't find out where I'm paying. I'm like, well, if you register, you're going to pay. So go there. So I got to change the wording. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, The Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from The Brotherhood of Fatherhood.